So do y'all think that Jason is the most well-traveled of the slasher movie villains? Oh, he has been to space, so I guess technically he's the most well-traveled, because uh, he usually hangs around Crystal Lake most of the time, and he, you know, he'll catch a little boat ride to New York every now and then, but he has been to space, so... Th- and to hell, apparently, too, That's right? right. The next one in the series, uh, Jason Goes to Hell, he, he, well, the next one is fucking even weirder, so uh, it's <laughs> way worse, and it... It goes on the whole idea, like, now he's a zombie, but now he's a slugworm possessing people. And you're like, wait, how did that, how did that happen? What's going on? It's, it's kind of the same idea of like how Halloween, like the middle series, like four and five, they introduced a cult that's surrounding uh, Michael Myers. And it goes off the rails real bad, very quickly. And then it kind of does the same thing. I mean, all the... All the Friday Thirteenth movies are not like you know good, but uh, <laughs> they go off the rails. I think, um, yeah, I think slasher villains are very territorial, right? Like, <laughs> right, Jay- Leatherface stays in Texas. Yeah, yeah they ha- they have they don't they don't venture out too often. But I do agree. Yeah, Jason is the most well traveled. He um, he's the one who goes to Freddy's territory in Freddy versus Jason. So it's true. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, Freddy's not doing any traveling outside <laughs> the dreamscape. I or I don't. What is Freddy's place called? Is it just Freddy's place? Is it Elm Street? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what town it is. It's uh, oh gosh, I used to know what the town's name was. Uh, but yeah, that is the thing. I mean, Freddy also he he could be well traveled because he travels in everyone's minds in their dreams. So the you know the vast scale of like where he could actually travel i mean you could argue that yeah freddie might be even more well traveled i mean maybe it's more of just about like kilometers or or miles wise like yes jason technically has been around the world in 80 days but like freddie has traveled the mindscapes of so many young teenagers to kill them but I think that Freddy's kind of a NIMBY because he he just wants to stick to his town, right? And then it's like not in not in Freddy's backyard. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in that spirit, let's go ahead and start. Zip, zap, zoodle, zoodle, zoodle. That, that's me doing the theme oh, song. Oh, good. I was, I was um, afraid there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a stroke. Um, my name is Shira, and I'm a fan of rom-coms. My name is Brett, and I am a fan of horror movies. And this is Necromancer. Necromancer. And normally on an episode of Necromancer, what we will do is Brett will pick a horror movie, I'll pick a rom-com, we'll review those movies, and then flip-flop them around and remix them in the opposite genre. So we turn that horror movie into a lovable rom-com. 
And then we turned that rom-com into a terrible, terrible horror movie <laughs> and ruin everyone's imaginations. But today is kind of a special episode. Like I would like to call it the ghoul friend experience because we've brought on a ghoul friend, Mr. Wright Sulik. Hello. And Wright, what are you, what kind of movies are you a fan of? I, I'm really a fan of a lot of different movies. I guess as of late, I, I've been watching more and more horror movies. I, I've been I've really been loving this resurgence of more like prestige horror films. It feels like uh, you know maybe like in the sixties and seventies that like with the the popularity of the Exorcist, it's like, oh my God, I, I didn't know that horror movies can actually be good. And then it started like it feels like the 90s or the 80s definitely killed it with like the slashers coming in and they're all just about like gore and nudity and it's like the Roger Corman effect of like what's the cheapest like special effects you can put in in a movie it's like nudity uh, in a movie <laughs> and so uh, that's a good point and this movie exploits that it does. I mean the Friday the 13th uh, movies are notorious for just having like how could we get teenagers naked and being murdered well let's have a lumbering old man and like walking around with a machete and trying to kill people i'm like done and uh but anyway i i i love a lot of different types i love rom-coms i love i love horror movies i love sci-fi movies i love them all but i do have a, an affinity for really bad horror movies and because uh, I do a show about that sometimes, <laughs> so I uh, so yeah, I I, I love uh, bad horror movies. So you have a podcast where you cover bad movies. What is the best bad horror movie you've covered for Trash in the Can? Oh my god! Um, you know, I I love melodramatic shit. And I, I, yes, I really do because yes. you you get to see in some some of the we we've, we've watched a lot, a lot of bad movies and so and the the worst like the the worst thing that a bad movie can do is be boring to us and that's that just kills the whole vibe like it turns an eighty minute movie into like this is Showa it's nine hours long you're like Jesus Christ oh my gosh the Showa <laughs> of horror movies right. so it's not something I want right. to see so. Uh, but uh, it's, I, I think with melodrama, it's really when movies are taking themselves seriously, even though they're just ridiculous. That's the stuff I love the most. And it really actually goes back to, because you've been on the show, of course, but uh, it actually goes back to our eighth episode when you watch this movie called The Baby. And it's still, I, I love this movie so much that I bought it on Blu-ray uh, and it's it's amazing. It's a and it's more of a thriller, but it definitely has horror vibes. It's about a a caseworker that is investigating this family that has a an adult man who is uh, their I guess youngest son, um, who they dress up as a literal baby and speaks as a baby, <laughs> acts like a baby, and it's done like in the nineteen seventies and. It's it's incredible. It, it takes itself extremely seriously. Like the caseworker is really trying to figure out, like, is this really terrible for the the man? But like, he seems to have an okay life. The family's kind of kooky and weird, but uh, maybe something's off. And we thought it was going to go to certain places in the movie that you're like just regular tropes, like she's going to try to like kidnap the baby and take him back and like you know prove to the world. It's like no, it goes it goes down routes that. 
I swear to God, I was, I think I talked this on the, the show, but if Queen, Quentin Tarantino remade this as his 10th and final film, it could be one of the best movies ever made. Uh, it is. Oh, can we start a Quentin Tarantino oh. remakes the baby campaign? Oh my God. I it, like even the music in the movie is straight out of like, you know, Quentin Tarantino has seen this movie. If you watch the baby, I highly recommend it. It's on YouTube. Buy it on Blu-ray. Give them money. Uh, I I love that godforsakenly weird movie. That does sound truly horrifying. I I mean, if there's one thing that that I've learned from this podcast that horror movies return to over and over again, it's that humans are the real monsters. True. It's that's always it goes back to that, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and like later uh, movies. Like I just finally watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, and I loved it. Uh, you finally what isn't it isn't it so much it's fun? so much fun I, I that's yeah that was our first episode really oh my god okay I as yeah. soon as I watched it because I think it was when you asked me to, to do this show I watched it the day after and uh I then thought like oh shit maybe I should watch this but I should have looked at the list and you guys did this for the first episode but uh I fucking love that movie it's so much fun Dennis Hopper is a fucking blast oh Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, for for the people who haven't listened to our first episode, definitely go back and, and listen to us cover this movie. But again, I just need to mention the scene where Dennis Hopper shops for chainsaws. What did you think of that scene, well, right? It's as if Toby Hooper is like, well... I got, I have to steal from taxi driver. Uh, like that's, it's literally taking from that scene, but he is like shopping for the chainsaws, like mini chainsaws and the guns. And he even has holsters for the chainsaws, like the mini chainsaws. And if right. you notice, I was calling this out in the movie cause I was start, I was flipping out watching the movie, having so much fun with it, but he has bandoliers that are the actual chains instead of like bullets Oh, extra, extra, extra chains, chains because he's going to Yeah, exactly. Them. I'm just like, this movie is going there and I fucking love it so much. Uh, God, I love that movie. I wish we could talk about that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The movie makes my head hurt because every time I think about it, I think of Bill Mosley just oh, so much scratching away. Oh, yeah. And, but I love how... <laughs> Chop Top was great. The physical oh, effects so on him. so gross. Yeah. But it's fun and nasty and yeah. uh and and it builds on it because at first you're like what the fuck is happening why is he like itching his scalp under the wig and then all of a sudden you see what's happening you're like oh and it's like yeah. a good little tick that he has throughout the movie if i fucking love it and to tie it back into the podcast <laughs> i wrote an absolutely lovely rom-com version of Texas Chainsaw 2. Uh, and I kept most of the murders in it. Right. Uh, as uh, Brett always likes to remind me. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed that movie. And uh, I, I enjoyed making it into a country fried romance as well. So... It's awesome to hear that you are not only a horror fan, but you are also a man of taste and distinction. You like rom-coms as well. Uh, what are some of your favorite rom-coms? Oh, my God. Um, you know, I've been watching a lot more of them in the recent years because of my girlfriend. And she she doesn't... As most men right, do. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, um, I really started to... I don't know if you would call them like really comedies, but uh, 
uh, I think it was like last year, I finally watched the Before Trilogy. I know it's not really rom-com, um, but uh, I really loved that. I, I loved those three movies. And uh, and funny enough, uh, the one that kind of like sticks to my mind, because um, it's like one of her favorite movies, and I watched it, and I was like, that's kind of good. Uh, it's, it's super cute and stupid, but uh, it's P.S. I Love You. I kind of loved that. Um, P.S. I Love You is a great movie. Uh-huh. Hillary Swank is great, great in it. The Dead Husband is A+. Oh, poor Gerard Butler, him trying to do an Irish accent. He's come out in later like interviews uh, over the years like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, he, he's like, he tried there, his damnedest. There is a trend of bad Irish accents in rom-coms that I don't understand because we, we saw it in Leap Year when we did a Matthew Good episode. We did Stoker mm. and we did Leap Year. Uh, and Matthew, Matthew Good had to apologize to the Irish people for his terrible accent. Uh, and, uh, as you said, um, Gerard Butler did the same thing. And then even though I think Jamie Dornan is Irish, there is a rom-com coming out called Rocky Mountain Time. Time is in the herb. It's got Emily Blunt in it, uh, Jamie Dornan. He of Fifty Shades of Grey fame. Yeah. And then for some reason, they've got Christopher Walken as his dad. And Christopher Walken only knows how to sound like Christopher Walken. So him yeah. walking through an Irish accent, oh. is, it's cringy. And it's like they, they're already preparing to apologize to <laughs> Irish people for it. Yeah, wait, is it out yet? Like, a, Or is there a trailer or something? Have you seen this? Uh, there, there is a trailer for it. And is Christopher it. Walken uh, actually we... using an Irish accent in it? Yes, Ooh. but he also sounds like Christopher Walken. Ooh. Oh, I got heartburn all of a sudden. But I don't know. This movie checks a lot of my boxes. Kids growing up together on neighboring farms, belligerent sexual tension. <laughs> John Hamm is the other guy that comes in. Oh, uh, nice. So, I, I mean, they, they've got me on lock at least. But yeah, there's there's... There seems to be a, a trend with that. Yeah, horror movies have nudity so, and romantic comedies have really bad Irish accents. <laughs> yeah, very bad accents. And then uh, something else that uh, Brett and I have observed through doing this podcast is, so in rom-coms, people don't usually get killed unless it's something that I'm writing, apparently. Um, <laughs> but they do they do get shit on all the time. Somebody gets poo-pooed or falls in the mud, or some some kind of physical comedy where it's like whoopsie daisy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but there's always the uh, the poop moment. <laughs> well, it's like they they <laughs> like in Back to the Future. Right, right. They're like yeah, they don't know how to write uh, like slapstick, and so like it, slapstick is just like you know you pour shit all over people, right? Like sure, whatever, and then you just do that. And you're like, oh, okay, that's not. That's not very becoming of you, Hillary Swank. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I, I have to ask, you specialize in trashy movies. Yes. Why this trashy horror movie? Well, uh, because I, I'm a fan of the show, and I know that you guys do remixes of like horror turned into rom-com and rom-com into horror. Now, I... I I'm also inherently just a fan of the Friday the 13th uh, uh, series, 
because I've always thought that like Jason was kind of like the fatty of the slashers, and I was like, oh, I I, I relate to that. And um, he's a chunky he's boy. A chunky he's boy. thick, he's big. Um, and this movie in particular is definitely one of the worst. Um, and of course, like again, I like bad movies, but I. I, I, you know, I, I've had uh, dreams of uh, writing and making movies, and I, uh, I've always thought about like, well, later in my career, when I'm, you know, a prestiged uh, writer and director, I, I want to do something that will really shock my audience, and I want to remake a movie, and I want, I've, I had this idea for years, and I've wanted to remake this particular movie, and, uh, but I had, I have a whole like campaign idea. It would be shrouded in secret, thinking that like, oh, he's. <laughs> Oh, even the marketing campaign? I have it down. I know exactly what I would do. Like I I would Oh, like a Blair Witch style campaign? Well, it would it would the the twist would be is that uh it, the news would come out that I am going to just remake or make a Friday the 13th movie and they're like, "What the fuck?" and uh, but I would never come out and tell them exactly what it was going to be. And then slowly and slowly it would also come out that I'm only remaking this particular one and people are like, "What the fuck is that?" and I want people to be really confused but intrigued. And uh so <laughs> and then I would finally release a trailer for it and then you would get to see what it is and it's my romantic comedy musical version of this movie. So yeah, mm. uh, oh, it's gonna blow people's socks off. I've I've said for years like it would win all the Oscars and it would be it, and also it would be still like I don't want to piss off fans. Like I know what I would want to see in something if this is going to go that ridiculous, and uh, and you know I'm a, still a fan of the series, but I still want to you know take liberties with certain things but also build jason as a character like a human rather than the supernatural zombie slug monster thing that he ends up becoming and i always thought that was just like shitting on that character so much because they really should have stopped after number four and just like put the whole series to Didn't bed he kind of become overpowered yeah like isn't isn't jason basically as strong as one punch man at this point basically yeah so I, uh, yeah, that's, that's where my idea would go down to is, uh, I would want to remake it. And then people would see it and they'd be like, oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> I have a lot of delusions of grandeur. <laughs> it's the next La La Land. <laughs> and Moonlight 2 no, would win instead. <laughs> so I feel like the, the optics of this campaign for me would immediately draw me in. I feel like I'm I'm the ideal audience or victim of this campaign. But Brett, as a horror fan, how would this register with you? Oh yeah, I'd totally be down for it. <laughs> um, I think I mean when when it comes to slashers having an extended franchise that just goes off the rails is part of the norm. So yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that this movie, I, 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 I accept your apology in you forcing us to watch this movie. <laughs> uh, it's hard to tell sometimes with a horror movie that's bad. It's like, but does it have that cult following? Is there something that I'm, you know, is there something behind the scenes that made it endearing or something? But this movie was just, I mean, it was, it was pretty much just bad, but yeah. it's the eighth in a horror franchise. Like at this point, you know what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still, it still was a lot of fun. So 
yeah, I'd be I'd be down for any kind of rom com musical remake of. <laughs> I'm I'm very curious. Don't don't tell me now, but I'm very curious to know if Jason's going to have any musical numbers. Well, it's really not a question but. of uh, if he has. It's just really a question of how many does he have. Uh, so, oh, oh yeah. And I'll tease this before we go into it. I guess later, but it's a juke jukebox musical. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of divisive on jukebox musicals. Me Sometimes too. I really love them. Sometimes they aggravate me. Uh, but when done right and when the musical choices are right, it 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 really hits home. Uh so why don't we go ahead and get into the summary? Uh, and let's let's review this movie and 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 the questions start off pretty much right from the beginning because we begin with a montage of New York City with a narrator, but this narrator never comes up again and never identifies himself as one of the characters. <laughs> Wait, do you know who he, he is? is right? The radio host that the two teens are listening to when they're uh, in the boat in uh, crystal in the titular well not titular uh but in the crystal lake so you could hear him in the background like all right you cool cats and girls uh, we are gonna uh, sound off tonight with another little ditty and blah 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 blah. but it's so it's the same guy so he is the radio host that is yeah opening up the movie is like this cesspool of a world blah 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 right so we get the new york tease but then Oh, we don't see New York. What were you going to say? I have a question. I don't know when the last time you watched the entire franchise is, but is there any continuity in this movie? Did Jason get like, he doesn't have a machete in this movie. Did he lose his machete or at the end of the last one? Yeah. So he, in the seventh one, a uh, a young girl kills him because she has telekinetic powers and drowns him in the lake. As one does. As one does. And um, because it was also on like kind of the curtails of uh, some of the new uh, Freddy movies that was using more like even more supernatural shit than Freddy was you know normally used to. Um, and so the that was just kind of the big craze at the time at least for some of these slashers but yeah that and jason yeah he's kind of known for the the machete but he is he's a he's a regular uh you know he's a worldsman he has many different weapons uh that he uses throughout the the franchise so like he's used it like i think in the third movie when because the third movie is the first one he shows up in the hockey mask and uh so he i think he uses it then um but like sometimes it's an axe sometimes he just strangles people sometimes he just pushes their head enough where an eyeball pops out so uh (laughs) he he uses multiple different uh weapons I feel like Jason's kind of like the barefoot Contessa of uh, (laughs) slashers because, you know, if you don't have the right ingredient, store-bought is fine. uh, And he just picks up whatever's on hand to to murder with. Yeah. He's very economical. He is. He is. And if push comes to shove, he'll just push you or just, you know, strangle with his bare hands, I guess. Because that's the thing. At this point now, he's ultra supernatural and he's more or less a zombie. 
Right. Right. No, he, uh, we, we will, we will get into it. Um, (laughs) so, so we, we start off with the DJ opening teasing New York, although we know that we're not even going to get there until the last 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, and this couple is fooling around on Crystal Lake in their little boat. Uh, and when they drop anchor, it hits a power line, which jump starts Jason Frankenstein style uh, and brings him back to life. But also my question, right, since and, and for you, too, Brett, since you guys know more about this franchise is Crystal Lake filled with HGH. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 he's just incubating down there like a little slasher version of Bane. Right. I, I don't know. Like, I find it funny that the series is constantly going back because that's one of the things that even they mentioned at the beginning of this movie is that the guy knows the the history of Jason and he's like telling the girlfriend about you know, all the murders that have happened here. And if I, I don't know why, but like if it was me ever, or I guess any normal person, they'd be like, why the fuck did you take me here then? Like, this is not, yeah. you, you're, my lady boner it's is romantic. gone now. And uh, like, I don't want to do anything. Let's get the fuck out of here. This is creepy. Yeah, I, I immediately knew what kind of movie we were in because the guy says, I'm nervous. And the girl's like, why? And the guy says, because of Jason, here's who Jason is. And then the girl says, oh my God, that sounds scary. And the guy says, eh, don't worry. Like, you're the one who brought it up. Right, right. It's like, so you're not nervous? Nah, I'm playing. Yeah. Yeah. I just need to remind you that Jason was here. Yeah. It may become important later. Does that get you hot now? Appears. <laughs> and then the other thing is, I I know that Batman movies get a, a bad rap for for always going back to the origin story and showing Batman's parents dying. I was I was going to mention every Batman's freaking parents. Jason movie. We got to see him drowning, and we got to get the camp the campfire story of how like how it happened every single one yeah oh my god really so that happens in everyone i was wondering if it was a batman's parent type of thing yeah well they they only started like they there's there there's a few movies where he's like literally killed like you know killed with an axe or whatever the situation is but the some of the later movies that i think they do right is that they say, oh yeah, by the way, his weakness is water because he drowned as a kid. And I'm- Oh, really? So he's got wicked witch weakness. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And But they also <laughs> kind of fuck that up a lot because they're like, wait, so how? Because the, there's moments where he's in the water and then you're just like, wait, so he's cool with it sometimes. As uh, like, so he can swim, but he also is frightened of it, sort of, but just whenever it's convenient. So that that's what I right. definitely hate it. Because if his fear is water or if his weakness is water, why in the living fuck would he go on a boat ever? Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, that's it's on the whole thing that I really am afraid of and I definitely easily could die from. Yeah, and then he sabotages the boat himself. He's doing everything he can to just 
dive it into the water. Right. <laughs> but maybe like a rom-com villain, it's poopy water specifically that really gets him. Right. <laughs> As we see towards the very poopy end. Poopy sewer water <laughs> is the true is the true weakness of Jason because he starts off in the lake and he comes out of the lake all shiny, roided up, well moisturized. You know, <laughs> he he's he's ready to go and he's more powerful than ever. Um, but splish splash in the sewer, in the New York sewer, I guess. And, um, he is turned back into a little boy <laughs> I, I, <laughs> to, to, to tease what we get into <laughs> later. Um, I mean, I've got a, I've got a whole host of questions there, but, but anyways, uh, Jason appears, he slaughters the couple with the harpoon gun. And then we, we cut to the next morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is this uh, the senior graduating class getting onto a steamer bound for New York City for their graduation trip. Uh, and the bare bones of this plot is that Rennie, the final girl, isn't supposed to go on the trip, but then her teacher wants her to go on the trip. But then her uncle, who's also a teacher, is like, no, you can't go. Um, but then she goes and then also her boyfriend is the captain's son. Um, and anyways, Jason sneaks onto the ship. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think of all these, these little dumb high school characters? Are they just cannon fodder at this point? That's, that's like the, the series MO is that we just like, we need, we need to have bodies. We just need to have bodies and we need to have teenagers, which, you know, that's one of the other things too that after watching so many bad movies for uh, trash in the can and just bad movies in general it getting older now and when i watch these ty- types of movies and i think about like jesus christ they're fucking children because teenagers are children <laughs> teenagers are children and so yeah. the, the, the fact that these murders are destroying them i'm just like jesus christ they're children <laughs> That's just me. Except they in the casting call for teenagers, they could only find people over 30. Well, that's the so thing. Like, we don't feel that, that bad. I love how that's how the movie is like, well, I mean, they're being played by 32-year-olds. I'm like, okay, well, sure, movie. But uh, at the same time, like the 18-year-olds are just being, you know, their heads being punched off. You know, like, Jesus Christ. But uh, but I... You're right. Now, Julius was done dirty for sure. I, I did like his character. I mean, some of the other characters were just like, Again, f- cannon fodder, but uh, I liked the um, the uh, the mean girl um, that's like, let's just do blow and Tamara. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved her. <laughs> I wish she got a little bit more screen time. Spoiler alert! But actually, the one person that got oh is Tamara. Is Tamara gonna make a reappearance in your remix? Oh, everyone's making a reappearance. Um, <laughs> uh, even some... so, remember everyone who dies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I, I think actually the the one person that got done dirty uh, too quickly was the uh, the punk rock girl. I, I forget her name. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, she was so cool, JJ. Yeah. I I wrote that down. Her name was JJ, and she's mm-hmm. the first to go basically on the ship. That's right. Yeah. And, and her only uh, her only crime was telling Wayne not to be a dweeb. Yeah. He's like that. Tara does not like you. Don't do this or whatever. You're trying to get into her pants or whatever. And it's like, it's not going to work. And, she, and he's like, I am still going to try to do it. And then he just, you know, ventures off and she's by herself. And Jason just kills her. Like, oh, well, shit. That, she was cool as shit already. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think maybe Jason needs to take out the people who would survive best in New York first. Probably so. <laughs> so, so he starts. He starts with JJ, and then he moves on to the second strongest person, uh, which is that boxer guy, and he hits him with a hot rock in a sauna. <laughs> yeah, or he really just pushes it right into his chest. I remember seeing that a long time ago, um, just like on clips again. I was like, Jesus, that is a fucking rough death. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, going back to, like, I guess what we were saying earlier is, like, he just uses whatever the hell's around and is like, hot rock, fine, and uh, just crams it in his chest cavity. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It's, a, it's a reverse fifth element. <laughs> the stones are in me. <laughs> I, I do like that he's handy with, with whatever's there, and to this movie's credit, they, they give Jason something new to do with each person he kills. Yeah. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't give anybody the same treatment. He, uh, he really tries to make it meaningful for you. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, our favorite mean girl, Tamara decides that she's going to push the final girl, Rennie into the water, knowing that Rennie can't swim. And it's in the water that Rennie has a vision of Jason drowning, you know, Batman's parents all over again. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this is, I, I, what is Tamara's plan? Her plan is to go on the boat and do coke, snort push some people, coke, and blackmail. Then, and then Rennie comes in and catches them doing coke. So her plan is either to murder her or to do something bad to her. Which wouldn't that just mean that she would want to rat her out? Like, hey, what happened? Hey, this coked up girl just pushed me off the boat. Like, that's what happened. Yeah. What is her plan here? Uh, they're, they're teenagers. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, right. <laughs> they don't have a lot of forethought into what they're trying to do. <laughs> I don't know. Tamara's pretty fucking sneaky because to get out of just a measly biology assignment, oh. she decides to blackmail not F. Murray Abraham. Uh, <laughs> to uh, he's he's like a Peter Mark Richmond and F. Murray Abraham should go. Should, they should get in a sneer off because they're just so good at sneering. Uh -huh. um, but anyway, she decides to sexually blackmail this guy uh while wayne tapes it uh it, it, to as if we didn't need another scene to completely drive home how hopeless wayne's chances are with tamra i know <laughs> um but uh after a long day of doing coke pushing people into the water, blackmail. Tamara needs to take a shower. Uh, and then Jason also needs to kill someone, so he stabs Tamara with the broken mirror shard. Yeah. I, I, a lot of questions come to my mind. Like, there's a lot of things you can tell about the movie as soon as like the ship even shows up when Rennie comes, uh, she comes on board, is that I, and this is where I, I give some 
kind of credit to the movie. I'm like, oh man, you really stretched that budget because that basically they wanted a cruise ship, like a nice looking cruise ship, but all they can really afford and get is like- It's like a tugboat. Yeah, it's like a shitty freighter and uh, it's just like, well, no one's using it and it doesn't even really work. And they're like, cool, sign us up. So like even as like high school students are getting on board, they're just like, what the fuck is this place? But also how many people are on this ship? It seems like the graduating class is 12 and then they have three people to run the fucking freighter. And and Jason is just like freely walking around. No big deal. And no one's seeing him. He's a hulking zombie man. It takes him a ridiculously amount of long time before people are like, hey, um, has anybody seen all these dead bodies? <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody's getting killed on this ship. What What is going on? But, um, you well, know, this he's... Is- this He's is just walking moment. on sunshine. Uh, this is the moment in my notes where I wrote down pre-scream. This movie, you can definitely tell. Like, this is the first time I saw this movie. I think this is the only Jason movie I hadn't seen. And oh, so you're welcome then. This, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> uh, and it's it feels pre-scream. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to go back and watch a movie like this. And it just, but at the same time, it is charming because it is 100 minutes of Jason just killing people. And that's all the movie is. Oh, yeah. They, they try to do some character development with Rennie because she has a fear of, of swimming and in water. But uh, it's, it's all really half-assed because it all, like, it's right. stemming from this idea that uh, her father figure which the the shitty teacher is her uncle too because her parents are dead or something like that yeah right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's such a tenuous connection because all jason did was goose her once while she was drowning and then i guess that's enough to remember forever well, see and i wonder because the the timeline doesn't make any sense because the movie was released in 1989 and jason died or drowned in 1954 so um it's and I've read a lot about this and honestly I don't really think it matters that much but I like to think that it's because of the uncle telling her all these horror stories or just like frightening her that she she thinks she sees Jason the boy trying to drag her under the water and that's where her fear of water comes from and not that that she actually saw Jason because uh, at least that makes ah. a little more sense than timeline. But wait until my mm. remix, and maybe I change that story. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So so Jason continues his killing spree, and he kills Captain Dad and the Admiral, and he leaves the captain's goofy-ass son, Sean, in charge. But Sean's no Jack from Titanic. He really is not in a position to lead this group. Um, but the remaining people do make it onto a boat, uh oh wait no sorry i'm skipping ahead um so uh jason chokes out eva the friend of tamra oh. uh, and then he kelly hugh her first role lady deathstrike in x-men 2 who who is she in x-men she was uh or uh lady deathstrike she's the the villain uh that striker uses to fight wolverine uh towards the end of the movie she has like the anti-antium uh, nails or fingernails and um, nice. she's also in the Scorpion King. She's a love interest in that. And that's about it. 
Is she a friend <laughs> of is she a friend of the podcast for Trash in the Can? Yeah, we uh no not yet. Uh I don't know what else she's really <laughs> been in, but uh I mean, I like X-Men too and Scorpion King's kind of fun. That's the thing. We, with some movies like that, it's like, well, it, like even this movie is like, this is too well known. We, we got to go bottom of the barrel kind of right. shit. Uh, so Kelly, who has not been a part of Trash in the Can yet, thankfully for her sake, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't recognize her from from other stuff, but that that's cool. Uh, and then Wayne, right Right at right after he gets kind of an upgrade, his glasses fall off and he slicks his hair back and he looks way better than he did before. Uh, and then he gets thrown onto the control panel and dies. You know, after you hit uh, a lot of too many buttons, you're electrocuted to death if you didn't know that. Right, right. You just you just press all the buttons at the same time and ship go boom. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just like we were saying in the beginning jason sinks the ship uh and then we have to get our survivors on a boat and that would be rennie uncle charles sean uh, miss von Dusen, and julius the other boxer who beat the shit out of the guy who got killed with the hot rock uh and it's right at this point an hour, more than an hour into the movie that the fog clears and the lifeboat realizes that they're off the coast of Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've read a little bit about like behind the scenes and it seems like, again, the, the budget was a huge issue for the movie. Like they wanted to have most of the movie take place in New York and the producers like, no, we're not giving you that money. And we're like, oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> but then um, they, uh, what, were, what was I going to say? They, uh, yeah, when like they get to New York, they, uh, or what was it? Oh, the, all the actors, that's right. Everyone who was involved with the movie was really trying to make like a good movie. They, like all the actors thought this is like, this is actually not a bad script. That uh, the doc, the director's competent. They know what he's, he, he knows what he's doing. And it's just really unfortunate that they they started to kind of question some of the logic because of the budget itself and what they had to take away. Because there's no like literal way where the boat could have gotten to New York because there's no body of land that's connecting where it's going to New York from Crystal Lake. So they're like, <laughs> that, does that make sense? They're like, it's like the... It's like Steven Spielberg with like some of his like logic in his like earlier his career because it's like wait a minute wasn't there a platform where the T Rex was and now there's no platform when like where the goat yeah. was like, <laughs> like no one's going to notice which quite honestly I didn't notice when I first watched Jurassic Park and if you just don't really think about it until I tell you on this podcast then yeah it doesn't really matter they got to New York. <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea how they got to New York, and I have no idea how Jason got from Camp Crystal Lake or to the uh, to the coast, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no real way that could have happened, but fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just I really feel like this movie could have been called Jason Takes a While to Get to New York, or Jason <laughs> Takes a While to Get to Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he takes the slow boat. He takes the slow boat to Manhattan. Uh, and uh, as soon as the gang makes it onto Manhattan, they're immediately robbed because this is New York, baby. This is New York. 
you're from New York, Brett. Is this accurate in your experience? Oh, yeah. It's pretty much just like the Warriors 24-7. <laughs> I thought so. Uh, and then the muggers take Rennie to have their way with her, and literally no one stops them except Julius, who seems like he's ready to go after them. And then Uncle Charles is like, no, they said they'd kill her. He's the worst guardian of all time. It's it's the, He's a type of character in horror movies that you're like, I fucking can't wait until he dies. Like, I, it better be worth yeah. it. It better be gruesome. It's not that really gruesome. Um, it's actually kind of lame. Um, but uh, yeah, he's one of those just sniveling assholes in a movie, in a horror movie. You're just like, and like people will cheer for his death. And they they had a really good one going, and then they just kind of fumble the ball. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't feel like he gets the the kill that he deserves. But you know who also doesn't get what they deserve? Jason, because he kills the two muggers, and Rennie doesn't even say thank you. <laughs> it's it, she just runs away. Well, it's it's interesting because like you you kind of wonder for a minute, like wait, so is Jason? trying to save her sort of uh i mean you know he's just like i'm just gonna kill anything that's alive in front of me but uh for a, like a hot minute you're just like well maybe he does have some connection with Rennie, and then no not really yeah i guess i guess not i mean more like save her for me right 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 <laughs> um <laughs> But also, what where do you guys think Rennie is nowadays? Because we're living in COVID times, and I think it would be worth a, a try to look her up because this lady is completely immune to heroin. Oh yeah, the heroin had zero effect on her. I, like I, I don't clearly something in her blood is is strong because <laughs> they shoot her. They go out of their way to shoot her up with heroin. And then the movie makes no use of that. Like, yeah. Jason easily could have stopped them before they stabbed yeah, her. Yeah, like, she she does, the, they do the POV for a second where she's like, feels a little hazy. And, you know, right. done heroin plenty of times. And I don't feel like that <laughs> hazy. And uh, so, it just like, and also wears off almost immediately. Is like, I don't think that's how heroin yeah. works. Uh, also, I don't think that's how heroin looks because it's not in a, like a fun size syringe and like, it's not green. That syringe was huge. Yeah. Like it's actually the opening, I actually uh, started laughing at the opening sequence where it's like basically a music video and it's showing like the dregs of New York in the back alleys. And there's one guy that's like squirting the needle to like test it to make sure bubbles are on the syringe. So dramatic. Yeah. And it's like huge and like so much is coming out of it. And my, <laughs> my immediate thought was like, whoa, you're wasting a lot of heroin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, no, absolutely much heroin was wasted. And and then the strangest kill happens. I, I don't know what you guys think about this, but um, Julius squares up against Jason and it's ineffective. Uh, and then Jason punches his head off. Yeah, one punch. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really stupid because it doesn't look good and it's uh, it's it's. It's unfortunate because it feels like it's like, wow, they really just got a styrofoam head and placed it on a body. And then Kane Hodder, who plays Jason, just like, 
and then it just falls in a dumpster and you're like and it it's almost like played for laughs in a way because it's it's basically a sight gag because the head falls in the the dumpster and then like the dumpster lid falls down and you're like so am i supposed to laugh and it's it is very silly. It's very silly, but just like, but I liked him a lot. Like he was a good, he was like one of the few people that was a good person. And that's what sucks about some of yeah. these movies. You're just like, oh, well, okay. If he's going to die, make it at least like slightly heroic. I mean, he is like trying to punch him and like have an actual boxing match. But like then his death is the lamest thing in the world. And you're like, oh, well, that's not fun. I don't know. I kind of liked the death. I, it, it was a it was a good moment of like true schlocky B movie special effects. Like some of the ones that he, like when he just strangles Kelly Hugh or something. Like eh, you know, yeah. I, I, I've seen someone's feet stop moving before, but to have someone's head come clean off from one punch—that's right. <laughs> like no extra blood. It's like carterized immediately. Yeah. Everything's like, that's a clean punch right there. Yeah. I feel like the, uh, the idea was better than the execution. Like I can yeah. imagine when you're doing all of Tambor's Coke and you're <laughs> writing up this movie and you think, okay, he's going to just punch his head off. It, it's like, ah, ha, ha, that sounds so cool. <laughs> uh, and then you have to do it and you don't even have enough budget to shoot on location. <laughs> and then the hot, the styrofoam head comes in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So they now the the people who are left they do find a cop which I thought this was New York which meant that the cops weren't coming. Um, <laughs> so they but they they find someone and then as soon as they get into the car the head that fell in the dumpster <laughs> somehow makes it into the car and gives them a nice spook. Oh, yeah. uh, and the cop gets killed by Jason. And that's when Rennie decides to get in the driver's seat. She runs over Jason with the cop car and then keeps driving into a fence. And then she and Sean and Uncle Charles get out of the car, but nobody helps Miss Van Dusen out. And then the car explodes and they act like it's nobody's fault that the teacher just died. <laughs> but Rennie's the one that crashed the car. Yeah. I, I don't understand how they're like, well, that couldn't have been avoided. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. It's just like she was, again, one of like a good character and or just a good person. And you're like, oh. Fuck her, I guess. And uh, you're like, oh. Yeah. That's she told Rennie she could be the next Stephen King and gave her a fountain pen, which she didn't use to write. She used to stab Jason in the eye, but it did become useful. That is true. I forgot I forgot that that was a, it was like, Stephen King, I heard Stephen King used this. And I'm like, oh, sure, sure he did. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that. A fountain pen? Yeah. Well, and also, that must have been embarrassing if he ever saw this movie and he's like, oh, God, I don't want to be associated yeah. with this. <laughs> now the coke though he definitely would have used that <laughs> I heard this was Stephen King's coke you're like ooh <laughs> it's, it's gonna make you a better horror writer it's, like, it's the same it that he used for misery it's great you're like oh no thank you <laughs> But it's also after Rennie kills her teacher and it, it just escapes blame, she also has a flashback where she remembers Uncle Charles taunting her 
taunting her about Jason. And then his method of teaching her to swim is to taunt her about Jason and then throw her into the water and then shout at her to swim. Yeah. It's just like, here's here's my lesson of swimming. I'm going to drown you and see if you swim. It's like, it's... And, and to think, my parents paid for swimming lessons. <laughs> they could have been drowning you this whole time. They could have time. just thrown me off a boat. <laughs> uh, then again, lakes are creepy. Like, I don't like water yeah. in general. Like, Jaws scared me out of the ocean. Like, I'm not going in the ocean, really. But lakes, I don't like because they're just muddy and gross. And, uh, and there's shit in there that I don't know what it is. Like... Pools are basically my jam, but like anything else is just like, I, Jason could be in here or like, it could be a, a lake again. It was like Jaws is probably in here. I don't know, man. I can't go in there. Or a giant alligator. Oh, yeah. You never know. I mean, also anything that requires you to wear shoes while swimming <laughs> is, is just an iffy endeavor to begin yeah, with. Yeah, it's not like a suggestion. Uh, it's a recommendation to wear shoes. Like, oh, yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, no, you need to cover your feet because there's there's something in the water. Uh, but um, so Rennie's Rennie's done with Uncle Charlie and she and Sean run away and then he's killed by Jason. And I, I can't even remember how he was killed because it wasn't very interesting. He, he was um, you thought that he was going to like just kill him with his bare hands or something. But he, um, he I guess he like messes him a little bit hand to hand and then he uh, carries him on his shoulders and he puts him face first and drowns him in the toxic waste uh, bucket. Oh, that's right. And, uh, and that's it. And like, he just drowns him and you're like, Oh, like it it almost feels like it's some sort of commentary on like how, you know, neat and tidy that he was. And he was like, Oh my God, not toxic waste. And, uh, I think that's what they were trying to do, but it totally misses the mark and it's extremely underwhelming. And you're like, that shitty guy, all he got was a fucking drowning and Julius's head was punched off. Like, what the hell's going on here? But whatever. Yeah, I think... I think those kills should have been flipped. I I feel like... uh, I feel like Uncle Charlie should have had his head punched off, but uh, he got drowned instead. And then finally... Finally, Jason chases Rennie and Sean through New York City, making sure to pass by all the sites. We get Times Square, the subway, and a classic New York diner. Oh, which, by the way, a little uh, Easter egg. The uh, the waitress in that uh, scene is the director. She looks familiar. The, is the director's sister. Oh. Yeah. And uh, the guy, uh, so there's a, I guess a line chef or whatever. He comes out and like, he's going to like lumber over and hit Jason. Yeah. He is, Cause this is New York. This is New York. That actor ends up playing Jason in, I think, um, uh, Jason goes to hell or Jason X, uh, or maybe even was in uh, Freddie versus Jason, but he was a, a stunt dumble or like a, a, a stunt coordinator guy. And uh, so, yeah, he played him later on and he did some like body double stuff for Jason in this movie, too. So like, that's, that's a little interesting factoid. 
<laughs> that makes sense. I like that also the character of the New York diner is they act like Jason coming is no big deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, and until he gets there. And I like to imagine that even after Jason left, they'll just be like, yeah. And then there was this one time Jason came mm-hmm. into the diner <laughs> and then it was okay. <laughs> I couldn't eat my Reuben sandwich, but well, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know, it's just another, another day in New York. Um, but then we end on Jason cornering Rennie and Sean in the sewers. They manage to escape up a ladder, and then the sewer water drowns Jason. Also, we get to see what Jason's face looks like, uh, uh, and we get the gag of him scaring the kids uh, around Times Square, oh, the and they're like, oh, oh, it is. I, I like that gag. That was really good. Show- they show his face, and I don't know about you guys, but I kind of think that he looks like the Frankenberry cereal mascot. Hundred percent, yes. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what it looks like, and it sucks because because the reason why we see his face finally is because she throws some toxic waste in his face, and he's like, like he starts freaking out, and he takes off his uh, mask, and yeah, it's like the most goober-looking uh, prosthetic face on him. And it sucks because all the other films, you do end up seeing his face the, towards the end because like you know, someone knocks off his mask or like they cut it off or something goes on and all the oh, other this movies. this is a Friday the 13th trope? Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely a trope of the Friday the yeah. 13th. And this this one is by far the worst one because it looks so cheaply made and all the others were at least like really gnarly looking and like looked like it was a part of his face. Like he can actually move his mouth and his jaw and like you could see his eyes. And this was just like some like shitty mask you got at, you know, Party City or something like that. You're like, oh God, that looks terrible. <laughs> I need to see some of these other Jason face reveals other than the uh, the Frankenberry one. <laughs> yeah, God almighty. Um, and then this is the most confusing part of all because Jason's body melts, revealing a supple young boy. Uh, and <laughs> I love that you had to write like supple, supple young boy. Oh, I, I know. I added that in as I was saying it. I mean, he was um, supple. And then also uh, my question is, I mean, he was com- he was in the sewer, but he was completely clean. Uh, right. And then my question is, is did Jason get Pinocchio'd? Did he wish to be a real boy again? (laughs) (laughs) Pinocchio. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't know what like they were going for was that I guess that she's overcoming her fear of Jason and he he's just a little boy, He's just a little boy. So like, you're not supposed to be afraid of him too much, but also he, cause Jason is a victim by the way. Like it's not his fault yeah. that he drowned. That is what he's getting revenge. That's what this whole thing is supposed to be about. And, and like, and it happened to a young child. Uh, uh and so <laughs> I, I don't know what it's supposed to be a metaphor for because if he's melting, that he wouldn't turn into a boy. I, I, I think that in the end, really, it's just like another vision that she's seeing. Like he's not, he has never been there before, so she's just seeing like, oh, my fear is dead now. I can move forward. I can move on. I think that's what that was trying to be. That's yeah. a very generous reading. Uh, once you get into <laughs> very generous, with once you movie. get into uh, <laughs> once you get into late stage franchise horror slasher film stage era it's kind of like 
once they hit six or seven, they start to give the movies and the franchises definitive endings. So this is kind of like Jason is now his, his the the scary exterior of the zombie man has has been melted away and he's now an innocent young boy again. Yeah. However, of course, this movie's going to have a sequel, so they're going to undo everything that the ending of, of this that, movie yeah. does. But so he's not a little boy. He's a roided out zombie. <laughs> yeah. Well, he turns into the slug, the slug monster. Oh. I guess the toxic waste plus I, country, country hillbilly man. Yeah. I don't equals slug. The, the new, the next movie is banana pants bonkers. Yeah. It's uh, it's so weird. And, and it, that's the thing is like, he's barely in it. Like the, the, the right. physical form of Jason is barely in the, the, the next uh, one in the series because he's possessing people so other people are playing Jason and uh, it's um ooh. Uh, no it's more just like ooh. Mm. oh it's not it's not fun no it's not like when um, what is it uh, Tommy Jarvis thought he was Jason oh god uh, yeah oh, oh Tommy Jarvis um, yeah no the, the next one is uh real 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 bad and it like every movie too like uh they tend to just like forget what happened in the last movie in the series and like eh, fuck it and they just move forward and they just yeah. like, write their own story i'm like oh, god dang it it's it's the same problem that i've have with like the hellraiser series i love hellraiser and i love the second one one and two are really They're really great. great and then the third one like the good like 30 minutes in there throughout is like okay because they at least expand a little bit on the pinhead character i'm like okay that's interesting but after that they they forget what the cenobites are all about and they're not the villains really they're there to take the real villain of the film or the story back to hell and like you know towards them and crap like that um they're like the harbingers of pain and that's what lame. The whole point is that they're indiscriminate. Exactly. Exactly. It's like it doesn't matter who they are, like who anyone is, but like usually it's they're the person. There is a villain in the movie, and like that's the real villain, like Frank in the first movie. Uh, or the doctor, the crazy doctor in the second one. Um, but like that's the same thing. They, you know, they end up kind of forgetting like what Jason or hell even eh, Freddie a little bit uh, is really all about. And uh I personally love Freddy versus Jason. I think it's actually oh, yeah. kind of good. Um, and so at least they kind of get back on track with those two characters. Cause I really love what they do with Freddy and uh, they kind of build like actual structure uh, around his character. They're like, well, he needs to get back into the real world. And like, he's just right. Jason as a conduit to get there. I'm like, I buy that. Okay. I, I can do that. I could get into that. I, you know, usually I'm I'm cynical about pretty much every single movie until I convince myself I don't need to be. Um, but I I really enjoyed the uh, the Predator versus Alien or Alien versus Predator crossovers. Uh -huh. At least the first one I thought was really fun. The one with Sanal Lathan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like uh, Freddy versus Jason is just as much fun. It's just very tropey and and genre just a just genre fun. yeah it's because it, it's interesting again like the movie is still with the backdrop of uh you know 
teens getting in, you know, trouble and the killers are trying to kill them. But the reason why is really interesting because you're, you really are following. It's really more Freddy's story than Jason's because Jason, again, is almost like an innocent bystander or victim in this situation because he's being used by Freddy to, to basically help Freddy out. And then it's not until the very end that they fight. I think I was mentioning this to um, uh, one of my buddies uh, that the one thing that really irritates me about Freddy versus Jason is because in the marketing and the trailers, the lead actress, uh, Monica Keenan, I think that's her name, she says in the trailers, like, Freddy versus Jason, place your bets. And I was like, ooh, that's awful. I love it. And uh, yeah. that never happens in the movie. And I think it's bullshit because <laughs> they just did it for the trailer. And then at the same time, like, ah, oh, you got me still. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's still stupid as hell. I mean, again, I will go on the record. Really, none of the Friday the 13th movies are, like, good. Like, technically good. <laughs> it's just, like, the first one did something interesting and then the rest of them are like, hey, again, what's really cheap? Nudity and gore. Let's do it. And you're like, oh, okay, well, Friday, Friday the 13th, here you go. I don't know. I think they, I, I think they do what, they, what they're supposed to do. And it's kind of like what you said towards the beginning of the podcast, that it's, it's not boring. And being sure. boring is kind of the worst crime that a that a movie can be versus being bad right and a fa- failing at realism is not the worst thing <laughs> that a movie can do but uh before we get into a uh, remix territory which i'm really excited about by the oh, way sure. uh we have a tradition here where uh whenever we review a rom-com we'd like to ask who would you kill from this movie? And then for the horror movie, we flip it around and we like to ask, who did you have a crush on in this movie? So, right. Who did you have a crush on in Jason Takes Manhattan? Ooh, I mean, I think I hinted at it, but I i mean, for how little she was in the movie, I love the rocker, uh, the JJ, I think that was her name. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I forgot that she's killed so quickly. And I, I was, I was like, oh yeah, th- th- she's awesome. Um, but uh, her and Julius a little bit as well, because like I, I kind of loved that he was, um, you know, he he felt like honorable and like okay, I I dig this, and that's what like, you know, I we were talking about his death and everything, but uh, I yeah, I like those two characters quite a bit. More of like selfish reasons because like you know, punk rock chicks are cool and then he was like well yeah of course he's he's like the best character out of all the whole movie i think that's fair what about you brett i had a huge crush on toby i'm so glad that the dog made it oh Oh, yeah toby i was not a scratch on toby (laughs) i was so scared when i first saw the dog i was like if the dog dies I'm going to break. I'm going to smash my iPad. I was like, I don't want to watch a dog die in a movie right now. Can I tell you something? So, <laughs> in the original script, the dog was supposed to die. Um, oh, I so bet. So, <laughs> what was supposed to happen as soon as Jason got onto shore in New York, he sees the dog and he's supposed to kick it and, uh, and it kills it. Um, <laughs> like anchor. Yeah, exactly. But being hotter, Jason went to the directors like, this is really fucked up. I don't want to do this. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's not do that. And so it's because of Jason, Jason didn't kill the dog. Wait, so Jason will stab people with harpoons and broken shards and 
put people in toxic waste, but you kick one dog and Kane is out of right. here. <laughs> I respect yeah. it. I respect it. I respect, I respect it. it. Yeah. How about you, Shira? Who is your crush? You know, we didn't talk about him, but I loved the deckhand who uh, yeah. just all his entire purpose was just to say, you're all going to die. Oh, yeah. This voyage is doomed. He's the crazy Carl. And, and that was his only purpose. And and people heard him, but people were like, yeah, whatever. Until Uncle Charlie was like, I got to kill that deckhand because <laughs> he's causing trouble. But he was just dropping truth bombs. I love the crazy person who tells the truth that nobody listens to, right. like uh, the guy in the beginning of the mist that goes, there's something in the mist. Yeah. You know, you always, you always got to have that guy. Well, it, that's funny you even mention that because that is a trope in Friday the 13th where that type of character, I think his name is Crazy Carl or something like that in the first couple movies, but he shows up he's like, you're all doomed. You're doomed. You're going to go to Camp Blood. You're not going to survive. And they're like, shut up, Carl. I'm like, <laughs> and he, like scurries away. Actually, he does scurry away. He literally, he goes up to the camp and uh, he's like, you're all doomed. And he gets on a bike and he just slowly like uh, gets on a bike and bikes away slowly. And they, I think he even like looks back and is like, you're all done to be doomed. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that guy has all of my affection. I also really liked Captain Dad uh, and how disappointed he was when oh, Sean yeah. didn't honk the ship's horn. And he's like, what are you doing? Take this sextant. You <laughs> won't need it, probably. Uh. All right. So I think I think we're ready. Do you, do you want to hit us with your rom-com musical remake of Jason Takes Manhattan. Sure, sure. Okay, so I have been thinking about this for a while, and um, I'm trying to figure out like what's the best way to describe this because there's a lot of things that you know become little like revelation or uh, like reveals about uh, how I want to put together the movie. But um, it it kind of starts off the same way where. There's these two people, this uh, man and woman are driving like in a convertible to Camp Crystal Lake. And she's like, Johnny, I don't want to like go do this. I don't think we need to really actually like study up on this whole thing. Like that's what acting is all about. And I was like, man, like Grace is like, this is the best way to figure out how we're going to get into these characters. We got to be there on site. This is method acting. Now, this is all taking place in the 80s still. And, uh, and I kind of change up the timeline of like when uh, Jason actually uh, drowned. Uh, I'm using quotation. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm really placing his timeline more in the um, either early, early 80s. Because this movie takes place in 1989. Um, so it's either early 80s or super late 70s, like 79 or something like that. So like 10 years before. Um, so this is 10 years later. So... It's these two people, they're talking about um, getting into the characters, and you're slowly realizing that they are talking about getting into the character of Jason, and she's talking about getting into the character of this person named uh, Rennie. 
And uh, I was like, what? And, uh, and oh. okay. So there's just like, I was like, so like, let's, let's figure this out. And they're trying to make it a kind of a sexy deal. Cause they're like the leads in something. You're like, what the fuck are they talking about? And so they go into like, oh my God, this is it. This is, this is where uh, Jason actually put the head of his mother. And like, they're kind of like putting on some of the clothes that they find out and <laughs> find in the shack. And it's just like, it's ruining everything. So as an audience, we're like, oh shit, it's not good. And, um, and uh, she's like, well, let me let me pretend like I'm the mother again. And it's like, let's do the scene. And so they're doing the scene from Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, where the actor, the the woman is putting on. It's like, now you sit down, uh, like stand stand back, Jason. Mother is talking. Mother is talking. He's like, ooh, but it's also he's trying to come on to her a little bit. Like he finds a a, a hood <laughs> to put on his head, and uh, it's like, ooh, kinky. yeah, and um. And so uh, they start to make out and they start to get like, they start to bang. And then. Uh, as Jason and mom? As Jason and mom. And so. Or, or as they say in this rated R movie, they start doing it. They start doing it. So <laughs> um, they are starting to fuck. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then they hear something. It's like, what was that? It's like. I was like, are you serious? It's like, you hear something here. There's no one here. It's like, we are the only two people would ever come to Camp Crystal Lake right now. It's like, this place is haunted, but like that does, that shit doesn't exist. Jason has been dead for years. And all of a sudden Jason just bursts in and starts like, he like, and I love practical effects. Let me just get this out of the way. It's like, if I actually did this, this would be definitely the most gory version of, uh, of Friday the 13th. Now, granted, and so far, this is We're not- a practical effects household here, too. Good. So so far, this is not really romantic comedy. Um, so, but um, mm -hmm. he like kills- I'm patient. He kills him in some horrific way. And, uh, and then he like kills her and decapitates her or something like that. And like her head falls in the same place as like the mother. And, uh, and so he's like big and hulking. Now, my initial person that I would want to play Jason, and uh, of course he would have to probably take singing lessons, but I think he can probably sing, is um, my like man crush, Tom Hardy. Now, uh, <gasps> yeah. Ooh, and he can be thick. He could be he thick. Can, he can pack on the, the muscle. He can, yeah, he can yeah, be I, I see it. And he's got some pouty lips too. He does. And so he has like, you know, the mask on and everything and then he kills them and he's rummaging around like he's trying to like almost clean up a couple things, but he looks down and he sees that uh, the guy had in his pocket this script and he looks at it and he sees that it's a play and it's Friday the 13th, the musical. And he's like, what the fuck? And, uh, and he started reading it and it's a musical or a play about his life. And of the like, the legend of Jason Voorhees, and he's like, "What? I can't. This can't happen." And uh, and so the first song that he sings, like, "I have to go to New York and stop this. I have to stop the play about my life." And uh, I'm already getting goosebumps thinking about it. So anyway, uh, the first <laughs> song that he sings, and so the jukebox musical version of this is all '80s songs. It's everything from Joe Cocker to yes. Leonard Cohen. Um, to, and so the first song, actually Joe, Joe Cocker uh, covered it, Leonard Cohen's song, is, um, uh, what is it, 
Manhattan uh, to Berlin or take uh, first you got to take Manhattan and so that's the first song of the of the m- movie oh you're bringing it back to the original song yes. uh, so it's Jason sings like first we have to take Manhattan and then I changed the words a little bit uh, then Beverly because he's wanting to go to Hollywood after this and then destroy the movies uh, that's made, been made about him so it's then cuts to uh, New York and it's like the play is like off off Broadway and a lot of the same characters from Jason takes Manhattan is in this, but they're playing like stagehands, um, extras or just people in the play itself. And word is getting around it. Like where is John or Johnny and grace? Like where, where they haven't got back from their, their weekend trip. Like what the fuck is going on? And it's like, well, we're going to have, and the, the shitty producer who's basically Char- Charles McCullough, the uncle in Jason Tanks Manhattan, he's that character. But if anyone could play him, I would love to play him because uh, I really want to <laughs> play a shitty, like, mean producer that does blow all day. And so it's like, yeah. all right, kids, it's like, we got to get back on track. Like, we opened in one week. We opened this coming week. And then he looks at this girl who uh, is like, hey, you, like, understudy. It's like, you're up. You are going into this right now. And so this other guy who is, um, uh, who's also the understudy for Jason, she's the understudy for the Rennie character. And uh, so it's like, you, ah. you two are now the leads in the play. And the guy's like, hey, I finally get my big break. And, uh, and so uh, this other girl, I, I, her name, let's just say it's like Carol. Uh, Carol's just like kind of you know, timid and doesn't know what to do. And she's like, Oh God, I did. I, um, I guess I'm ready. I was like, uh, it's like, Hey babe, like, this is going to be great. It's like you, you and me, we're going to be stars after this. And this is like off, off Broadway. (laughs) They're not going to be stars. And, (laughs) but the producer is making it seem like this is going to be a huge deal. So I change up a lot about how like Jason is getting to Manhattan because I wanted to be a little bit more of uh, going true to his character where I don't want him to be on a boat. Uh, I just don't feel like that would be the best way to go because I do go back to his fear and excuse me, weakness is water because that is extremely important of how this movie ends up being. Um, So uh, he I kind of want to do it like a road trip movie where he gets on like cars or freight or like whatever and like either not necessarily hitchhikes but also just like gets on to cars in some like Cape Fear kind of way and finally right travels. like the bed of trucks and stuff yeah. so it's like part road movie uh and then always cutting back to this girl this uh, young girl's life uh in New York and you know trying to like you know figure out who she is but also uh coming to terms like she might she's going to be a star of this whole play and you get sort of like her backstory slowly throughout the the film and you find out that she was there at Camp Crystal Lake at one point and uh, you catch glimpses and then like slowly through the film you're like oh wow it's like so she was she knew Jason and then it like slowly and slowly it's like oh she was like Jason's only friend and then (gasps) so if you can kind of tell where this is going so far so (laughs) Friends to lovers? Friends to lovers. And like she was on um, the the lake with him or something like that. Like she was witness to him drowning. 
And so, and it was her only friend and she was also having this budding relationship uh, when they were like, you know, kids, but they just like, no, I see the goodness in Jason. And there's all these shitty people who like the, the camp counselors that let him die. So Jason, like that's happening. And then Jason is traveling to New York at the same time. So then it finally, at some point, like, you know, the hour or so mark, we finally get there. Uh, this, I guess the same time frame. <laughs> and Jason takes Manhattan, but there's a lot of songs at the same time uh, that's going on. There, there has to be a great song with like the shitty producer uh, singing. Are there love songs like them thinking about each other songs? So yes, uh, so there is a duet at one point. It's um, Summer in the City. Uh, when, and it's also taking place Ooh. in the summertime. So it's like really hot and gross. So the, isn't that the love and spoonful? Well, actually I love the Joe Cocker version. <laughs> like there's a lot of Joe. I love Joe. Oh. Cocker. Um, <laughs> and so like they're both singing it as soon as Jason finally uh, hits Manhattan. And so there's a huge dance number in one of the alleyways with all the people that Jason's killed. Uh, they are like basically zombies sort of with him and they're doing a whole dance routine in the alleyway. And uh, But they're also talking yeah. about like, she loves him, but she doesn't know obviously that Jason's on his way, but she's remembering him and the fact that she is getting closer and closer because basically what you're discovering now is that she in the play is playing herself like the legend about Rennie because she is Rennie and she hasn't told anyone. And so in the play, she is playing herself and she that's the oh girl. Right. And then this other douchebag guy is playing Jason. And so she feels obviously a huge connection. That's why she even auditioned for this role because like, I know who this is, but she got the understudy part. And then of course the lead actress from the very beginning of the movie was killed off. So now she finally has the chance to play herself and be herself. So Jason finally gets there. And, um, and again, it's funny throughout the whole thing. It's all very tongue in cheek and ridiculous. It's very like body, like all the, um, you know, the musical numbers are ridiculous. There's still like nudity and gore. that's like abound throughout the whole thing. Like the sleazy producer is like just horribly killed in some way. Cause he's like coked out of his mind. And he thinks that because as soon as Jason gets there, people start to think that he is the actor, uh, in the play that's playing Jason on, yes. on stage. And so the producer- That's the kind of comedy I can get into. Yeah, so the producer is like, it's like, Johnny, or like, it's like, Jake, what are you doing here? He's like, you gotta be on stage in like 15 minutes. We're about to get on the show. Aren't you so happy that this is gonna be a huge hit? And like patting Jason on the the, the, the chest. is like, wow, you really beefed up. Like, you're huge. Oh, you're gonna be a great actor. And uh, I was like, this is gonna be it. This is gonna be my time to shine. And then like Jason just like, rams a machete through his face or something like that. Um, just like ridiculous and gory. And then, because also, the fact that Rennie, the true Rennie, doesn't know that Jason's on his way, he doesn't know that Rennie is in the play. So he finally gets like towards the stage and he's like uh, backstage and uh, he killed the actor who was playing him. And uh, because like maybe uh, Jason's we hated him we anyway. We hated him anyway. And maybe his like mask came off so he gets the play mask and puts it on his face. And so he gets uh, over his other mask. Well, like maybe his <laughs> like old mask was ruined and like it got uh, thrown off right. or something like that. And then he puts the play mask on his face. So then he gets uh, like around like the side of the stage or like uh, backstage uh, near the wings. And uh, he finally sees Rennie. 
and he notices and he remembers who she is. And then it's like <gasps> his own flashbacks to his childhood of how sweet and great she was and the friendship and the love that he started to develop as a kid. And then the tragedy that, you know, bestowed him. And you're just like, and that he's just like, overcome all of a sudden with the, all these emotions and then the stage manager's like all right jake you're up and pushes him on stage now rinnie is playing rinnie and jason is actually playing jason on stage the story of their lives on the stage and oh serendipity so they're having this huge musical moment uh like they're singing together having this like really sweeping romantic duets uh, on stage together. And the audience is like watching this thinking this is real. There's like, this is a, this is the play. And it's like, wow, the, the effects look really good on Jason. And uh, like all these like, you know, comments and blah, blah, blah. And so then some of the actors uh, are discovering the bodies like, wait a minute, something's wrong. And then they go, uh, they find the producer, his head's cut off or whatever. And then they go look on stage like, wait a minute, that's not, that's not Jake. That's, who is that guy? Like that guy's a fucking imposter. Fuck him. And so then the couple's having this like sweet, like romantic duet on stage. And then she's slowly realizing it is Jason. And then she's like, her love is finally there with him. And he knows her obviously. And so like, like she takes off his mask and like sees him for who he is. And just like, I've like waited. Is it Tom Hardy? Does he look like Tom Hardy? Maybe not. Like he needs to be kind of grotesque a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but like that doesn't matter. Looks don't matter. Uh, not to Rinny. But how, how great would that be for a reversal of the trope? If instead of you, him taking off the mask and his face is all gooey, he looks like Tom Hardy. He could. Uh, I mean, the thing is, like, with the Jason Takes Manhattan stuff, like, this is really, like, maybe a sequel to the third one. So he's not, like, dead dead yet. So, like, he's not, like, a zombie. So, like, he is still, like, a human being that's alive. And uh, so I don't want to go in, like, the whole supernatural route or anything like that at all. Anyway. Makes sense. The, the, the other actors are trying to figure out what to do and to sabotage him and try to get him. And so they're starting to drop... Uh, uh, what is it like? Uh, what are the sandbags uh, from the rafters uh, uh, from the very top of the stage and trying to like hit them? And so like they're ha and the stage itself is Camp Crystal Lake. So they're actually like near where he died uh, on stage, and there's like a little like man-made body of water uh, that's subbing for the lake itself. And then they like they finally kiss in this one great moment, and then the guys in the behind the scenes uh, drop a sandbag and it falls on him, and he falls in the lake in the man-made lake on the stage, and so he's struggling because he can't actually get out, and she's trying to help. Not him. our hero. Not our hero, but it's happening, and it's he's like basically drowning in the man-made lake on the stage, and it's it's reflecting or mirroring how it actually happened to both of them. And she's trying to save him. And she's screaming out like as she did when she was a child to all the uh, the camp counselors. And so she's actually go breaking the fourth wall to on the stage. Like, someone help him. Like, he's he's drowning. He's drowning. And like the audience is watching and just you're like, oh my God, this yeah. is really good. What is going on? And then uh, like they're holding hands as they did. And then he finally lets go and he drowns and dies. And, uh, and so she's like sitting there and just like trying to like, and she's like crying. And then she finally like pulls his body out of the water and has him, uh, in her arms. And then it ends with Joe Cocker's, um, shelter me, 
uh, and then the camera is just backing away from them on stage as she's crying over him, and then the whole audience is just getting a, giving a standing ovation, and it cuts to black, and that's the end. Wait, okay, but is there going to be a post-credit sequence where we learn that Jason is actually alive and he and Rennie will get there happily ever after? You know, the reason why I don't want to do that is because I want to give the fr the Friday the 13th and the Jason Voorhees story, I think, a loving and appropriate ending to him because... He, I think the character at first was a really interesting idea that it was about a mother taking revenge on her son that was a victim and died and drowned because people weren't paying attention. And then he comes back to get revenge for his mother. And so this is like the same thing where like, okay, well, we can finally see the definitive end of this character because I think he's just been a joke for so many movies now. And so this is Jason Takes Manhattan, the musical, and uh, but you also see that he was a real person that had something uh, going for him, that he was he had a love of his life. He had someone that was actually nice to him. And so he's, I think, a more three dimensional character rather than just like a brute that just goes around killing people. And then this like gives him motivation uh, to get this done. So that's that's my rom com musical idea of this version of the movie. I like it. I think that them having this long separation where they have to meet in New York has kind of a sleepless in Seattle vibe. So I can see how Nora Ephron has subtly <laughs> influenced your remake here. Uh, and, and you know, I, I feel like Jason, he's not really alpha or beta. He's kind of a cinnamon roll hero. He, <laughs> you know, he's just very sweet. Uh, and that's why Rennie likes him. I, you know, it, it clicks for me. It, it resonates. Yeah. I think the ending is super strong. Uh, yeah. With the audience, I can see it now, you know, the audience just loving it, being totally into it. But us, the real audience right. would be like, no, it's so tragic. Yeah. It's the, the dramatic <laughs> yeah. irony is gushing through the screen at that point. Right. And yeah, I love that. So many great dramatic irony points in your in your script, by the way. Yeah. A, lo a lot of doubling going on that I, I thought was really great. And then you even kind of had a little Titanic reference where he lets go and he falls into the water, <laughs> uh, you know, and then she's allowed to have character development because of her <laughs> romance with Jason. Yeah. And then like her like, trying to manage uh like the skeezy new york like play scene at the time and just like everyone trying to take advantage of women and just like her trying to be like just like getting away from this because i i love that it's very overt of like who is awful and gross and like yeah they deserve to die and uh they right and um so yeah that's uh i and I, I love the producer character. I think he would be just a good, like, kind of um, comedic element that's just like, oh, man, he is going to die so bad. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, some of the, the music choices I don't have, like, fully fleshed out, but, like, I know some of the songs that I would love to have. I've already pictured the choreography of what it would be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, the Summer in the City dance sequence would be fucking amazing. They're, they're singing out to each other. She's singing on the rooftop of the where the play is taking place, and he's singing in the alleyway when he gets to New York. Uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> 
Damien Chazelle, eat your heart there out. There you go. There you go. La, 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 la. I would love for that to be the update on the uh, the Jason sound to be La La's instead. That's amazing. That's That would be really good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's um, that's it. I heartily approve. Let's make it. I, I if I'm producing, let's let's do it. Let's make it. No. Yeah. <laughs> um. I I don't have that kind of money, unfortunately. <laughs> um. Well, I don't know. You probably have as much money uh, as this movie had budget. <laughs> you so, know that that touche that that is a good point. Uh. Now I took a seat back this time and I didn't write my own rom-com remix, but I know that, uh, Brett, you flirted with the idea. No pun intended. Did you end mm. up, uh, writing anything or, uh, or yeah. did you, Oh, you did. Yeah, I've just got some quick little jokey jokes to throw out. I asked you Shira before the podcast for four main leading ladies from some of the movies that we've reviewed on the podcast and one main leading male. And so you gave me a list, and I just want to flirt with the idea of what it would be like if Jason went on a date with these people. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and so the, fir the first one you gave me was Gracie Hart from the movie Miss Congeniality. Um, We're I a figured, Sandra Bullock household. <laughs> right. I figured, you know, it would be fun if uh, Michael Caine took a back seat, but Gracie, is, is she's super well known now. So she has to take on the Michael Caine role so we can have some fun like Sandy B playing as Michael Caine. Wait, kind so of she like... puts Jason through a pageant? Yes, so she puts Jason <laughs> through a pageant. His talent show can be being a goalie. We can get the Dallas Stars out and they can all be taking shots at him because, you know, Miss Congeniality is all about Texas. Uh, and then for the swimsuit competition, maybe he can have like the arm floaties and stuff because he's super scared of going into the water. <laughs> he is. Um, but that's it. Just Jason being in a, in a fashion type show would be fun. You gave me the girl from my sassy girl, the Korean rom-com. Uh, I know that people probably haven't seen this movie. A lot of people probably haven't, but she and I, a lot both... of Asian people have though. <laughs> Sure, and I both made the mistake of watching the super nihilistic, dark, grim, slasher, horror, I Saw the Devil before we saw My Sassy Girl, thinking that My Sassy Girl would offer some relief. That, that was not the case. The girl in My Sassy Girl is a complete sadist. And so I imagine their date would be the girl picking Jason out of a crowd and then basically torturing him but in like the cute way that she tortures her love interest and in, like in making jason girl. wear heels <laughs> yeah just silly stuff but then jason could turn more into a deadpool character like his mask could become more like full of expression his eyes could move and stuff yeah. and he would be like you know deadpool and the whole movie would just or the whole date would just be jason trying to escape from the girl <laughs> and then maybe at the end he can like hide somewhere and then we can get the cop from I saw the devil also hiding. And they're both like, they're both super badasses, but they're scared of the girl. <laughs> um, 
for you gave me Penelope from the movie Penelope. Penelope yes. has a pig she nose. She of the pig nose curse. Yep. Pig nose curse. So pig nose lady has to meet up with Jason, who is also has a deformity. And so they 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 accept themselves though. Unlike I know your problem with Penelope, which is a good problem, is at the end of Penelope, it's like, oh, your face is fixed, the end, magic, everyone's happy. Um, but no, in, in for their date, they would embrace their 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 thing. So, but they would I, go I to. I still a, think it's okay if uh, Jason looks a little bit like Tom Hardy, though. <laughs> but I don't think anyone would mind if someone looked like Tom Hardy. You're like, okay. <laughs> Um, but they would go, they would embrace themselves, but they still want to feel good. So they'd go to a spa. We can get Jason and Penelope doing some manis and petties. Maybe Jason gets like a seaweed wrap or something. And then he freaks out. We can get a a little callback to the hot rocks, um, in this, uh, oh, and we can do some acupuncture. We can get a nice little pinhead reference maybe with some acupuncture at the spa. Um, Oh, for Gracie Hart's date, Miss Congeniality, William Shatner is in Miss Congeniality. So we can throw a nice little Halloween mask based on William Shatner's face joke in there. Oh, I like that. That would be fun. I like that. Um, the the last lady you gave me was Lorelai from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Marilyn Monroe herself. Marilyn Monroe herself. Uh, Marilyn Monroe in that movie loves money. So I figure Jason could take her to New York. They could go to Times Square and they could go on a huge shopping date. And Jason could slash all the prices with his machete. (laughs) He also needs to be confused of like one of the, you know, one of the people in costumes, like people are taking pictures with Elmo. And then he like, it's like a montage part where they're walking around together and people are like, hey, can we take pictures with you too? And he's like, Well, uh, Lorelai could be like his pimp because she loves money. And when you yes. take pictures with those people, you're supposed to tip them. Yeah. So she could be pimping them out and getting all that sweet, sweet cash. And they don't tip and he kills them. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, and then for the leading man, you gave me, of course, Wesley, the dread pilot, the dread pirate Roberts from the Princess Bride. The ultimate leading man. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I figure him and him and. Um, he he could use his charm, right? Wesley's a very charming man. He could use his charm to get Jason onto a boat, conquer the fears. He's a pirate. They have cheese. They have crackers. They have wine. They're bathing in the Charcuterie. sun. Yeah, it is just the most romantic day ever. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, or to the face, Jason falls in the water. And then as, as the Wesley- Shrieking eels? No, as Wesley leans down to help Jason back up, he grabs the mask, pulls it off, and then we reveal, and then Jason starts drowning, and we reveal Wesley, it's the talented Mr. Wesley. He's going to take over (laughs) Jason's ID. He's going to take over his persona, right? Because Dread Roberts is all about passing on personas and stuff, but Dread Pirate Roberts is going to put on the Jason mask go to Camp Crystal Lake, bury his treasure there, and use the Jason mythology to guard his super pirate treasure. Oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are just some of the the dates that I came up with for Jason to go on. I just really like the idea that Jason is so well-traveled. You know, yeah. he can leave crystal lake to find the girl he loves he can travel across different fictional worlds i I feel like there there is no glass ceiling for jason yeah 
I uh, I mean, the fact they took him to space is just like, yeah, he can go anywhere. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I and I love that half machete will travel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much, Wright, for making our first ghoul friend experience oh. one to remember. Thank you. Uh, before we hang up our hats today, where can people find you? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, you can always listen to Trash in the Can wherever podcasts are sold. And um, Trash in the Can is... We've mentioned a little bit, but it's a show where my good friend Eric uh, Samaniego and I, we talk about really, 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 really bad movies, so you don't have to. Um, so <laughs> we watch Bottom of the Barrel crap. It's like mystery science theater level kind of stuff, People, things that we've never heard of before. We're kind of on a... Uh, we just watched a, a movie yesterday, and we're kind of on a, a train of uh, Lifetime movies right now. We're like, ooh, this is good stuff. Uh and uh, we just watched a yes, please. We the new episode's coming out uh, our sixtieth episode, but uh, it's Double Daddy is uh, our next episode, and um, it was really fun. Um, <laughs> and I also guest host and review new movies that are actually sometimes actually good uh, on Screener Squad uh, with those people over there, great people. And uh, so yeah, you can listen to me on reviews there. You can listen to me on Trash on the Can and. Twitter, I don't really do anything that much. You can find me on Facebook if you care. I don't care. Uh, and Instagram, I haven't posted anything in a while. I'm terrible at social media. This is why I should have a podcast, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are also findable. We can be located at Necromancer Pod on Facebook and Twitter or at the Necromancer Podcast on Instagram. You can also email us, tell us how much you loved the ghoul friend experience uh, at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we have done that, it's time for Love Bites. So, right, we like to end the episode on some recommendations. Oh. And your recommendation, it can be a movie, a show, music. One time, Brett recommended Cats. Uh, and Sporks. So, and Sporks. So, so the, oh. the sky is the limit as far as uh, what you can recommend as a Love Bite this week. Is there a... Anything interesting you want to share? Sure. Um, I just, uh, I'll recommend two things. Uh, I was actually thinking about this before we recorded, but um, I just read one of the newest graphic novels by Joe Hill, which is Stephen King's son. <gasps> Love Joe Love Hill. Love Joe Hill. Um, and they just put it back, put it out in, a, I guess, trade, like the whole volume. It's called Basketful of Heads. And um, <laughs> it is great. It's an awesome lead uh a woman character story that she's badass and um and it's really kooky and weird it kind of it's like um it's like creep show meets eight heads in a duffel bag it's very strange but it's also really funny uh and crazy um i highly recommend that and i've been listening to ever since my love of uh john carmader music um with like the lost themes. Red is also a fan. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of uh synth wave the past couple of years. And I just got a new album by um, miles Brown called the gateway and uh, got off from uh, Mondo. 
and uh, it's fantastic. Uh, a lot of uh, theremin is in his song, so really good stuff there. And uh, yeah, I recommend those two things. Oh, that's interesting. So my recommendation this week, uh, I am going to recommend another Korean drama <laughs> because I am back to watching them. And the tie-in with Jason is going to be this. I would like to see Jason go to the town on saying in this Korean drama. The name of the show is called When the Camellia Blooms. And it, it has one of my favorite setups for a movie or TV show, which is a hot person moves into a small community and drives them crazy. <laughs> uh, and, and so this, the, the lead female of the show opens a bar in this small town, Onsang. And Onsang is a town where people treat you like family. And by treat you like family, I mean they're extremely rude and judgmental. Uh, and the town is basically run by these older women who man all of the shops around town. And they basically spend their time uh, either helping or judging people. So you will always be well fed in this town, but old ladies are going to judge you. And the show, Brett, it has one of my other favorite things uh, that I always write into my remixes, which is killing and murders. Not yeah. only is this a sweet romantic comedy about a single mother that moves to a small town uh, and the policeman that falls in love with her, he's also investigating a local serial killer. <laughs> uh, and the the way that the serial killer plot gets resolved in this show is is very funny as well and incorporates the, uh, the setting of these tough older women who basically run everything. So I, I would like to see how Jason would measure up against some older Korean women. No chance. Uh, I, I, I don't think he has a no chance. Way. I think yeah. that, that he'll be just beaten to death in, in the alley within maybe a day or two of <laughs> arriving. Um, but, but I'd like to see him try. So uh, that's When the Camellia Blooms and it's on Netflix. Good one to watch with your partner. That sounds awesome. Uh, the thing I would like to recommend is a little game. It's it's like a card game. It's called Boss Monster. And oh. the tie-in to Jason is in Boss Monster. It's very like old school Nintendo uh, references, old school video game references, a lot of D&D type references. But you play the boss and you create your dungeon. So you get you get room cards and spell cards and then you build your dungeon, and each room you build has special abilities, and it has a number of damage points. And then each turn, heroes enter the town, and based on your dungeon, you lure heroes into your town, and you have to kill the heroes. So if the heroes make it through your dungeon, they deal damage to you. If you kill the hero, then you get points, and you have to get to 10 points to win. Um, it's super awesome. Sony and I got it as a gift for my brother. And then we've since gone out and bought two of the expansion packs. Oh, nice. Uh, which you pretty much just play standalone. Uh, you can mix them, but it just waters down the synergy. So it's um, a two player card game. It's two. I think it's two to four players. And so it's very interesting. We played it with my brother once. It's interesting to play with more than two people. Because then you have to like be more economic in who you want to attack. Yeah. Um, but if it's just two people, it's like, all right, I'm just going to waste all my spells on you. <laughs> but it's just one of those games where like 
you know, the first couple rounds I could be losing completely, but then so many of our games come down to the last turn. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So yeah, boss monster. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, I feel like we covered all of the mediums today in our love bites. And that is a perfect place for us to end. Take it easy. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.